Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 138. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. October is just about over. The World Series is in full swing. And Halloween, probably my single favorite holiday of the year, is finally here. So, happy Halloween! But before we get to all that, and what I've decided to be for Halloween this year, now, now is still a time to stay vigilant. Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair and gentlemen. Thank you for being here today as we continue to examine the repercussions uh, repercussions of President Biden's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan and the abandonment of Americans to the hands of the Taliban. Um, Mr. Call, is it or Dr. Call, is it true that President Biden said we wouldn't leave when there were Americans left behind? We have not left Americans behind. They continue to get out. We left Americans behind. We did not leave Americans behind. They continue to get out. Did the DOD, you represent the DOD, Dr. Call, did the DOD leave before all Americans were out? It was the consensus judgment that leaving on August 31st was the best way to continue. So the DOD, General Mingus, did the DOD, did our soldiers leave before all Americans were out? Yes, ma'am. The last uh, airplane left the evening of the 30th morning of the 31st of August. Thank you for your straightforward answer, General Mingus. Now, I'm not the biggest Senator Joni Ernst fan. Sometimes she can be scarier than a Halloween horror movie. But she's not wrong there. The Republican senator from Iowa served 23 years in the Army Reserve and the Army National Guard. And she's one of the few in Washington demanding accountability around the Afghanistan debacle. And Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Colin Call's non-answers there are revealing and insulting and disgraceful. We've not left Americans behind. They continue to get out. Listen to that again. We've not left Americans behind. They continue to get out. There it is. That's the ridiculous gaslighting and nonsense talk that's become the standard language for 20 years of America's presence in Afghanistan, and especially the horror show unfolding now. We've not left Americans behind. They continue to get out. But we left on August 31st, and it's October 31st or so now. And they continue to get out. So we did leave them behind. In that same testimony, Undersecretary Call admitted that 196 Americans are ready to leave Afghanistan now, but are still there. While another 243 Americans either want to stay or aren't yet ready to depart. So we left at least 196 Americans behind. Let's give Undersecretary of Defense call the benefit of the doubt. And let's call it a few dozen. So 
We left a few dozen Americans behind in Afghanistan to die. At any other time in American history, that would be the story in America. The 1979 Iranian hostage crisis was the biggest story in America for basically a year. It arguably cost Jimmy Carter the presidency. And that was only 52 Americans. 52. One quarter of the number of Americans left behind in Afghanistan right now. And it's likely more. But there is no doubt that the Biden administration left Americans behind. But it doesn't seem like Undersecretary Call is willing to admit that. It seems like he's more loyal to his boss, President Biden, and to the company line than he is to the truth. Or to our fellow Americans that have been left behind. Not to mention the hundreds of thousands of Afghan allies that have been left behind to die. But Army Three-Star General and Director for Operations of the Joint Staff, General James Mingus, that you also heard there, isn't a political appointee. He's a military officer, and he's the latest military officer in a long line lately who's willing to tell the truth. Inconvenient truth. Even if the president or other politicians don't want to hear it. Or admit it. But credit to Senator Joni Ernst. She's calling for the truth and demanding a real investigation into our failures in Afghanistan so we can make it better, so we can hold leaders accountable for failure, so we can learn, so we can at least try to prevent this from happening again. And Senator Ernst is not alone. A Democrat on the other side and a fellow veteran, Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth also continues to stand with the truth. Duckworth has introduced a Senate bill that would create a nonpartisan commission to examine the longest war in American history. Her Afghanistan War Commission Act would establish an independent commission to look at the span of the 20 years of the United States' involvement in Afghanistan, but also look at the breadth of government and everybody who was there. That's what she said. And Duckworth's bill has a dozen co-sponsors. Democrats like Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, Jackie Rosen of Nevada, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Kirsten Gellibrand of New York, Michael Bennett of Colorado, Gene Shaheen of New Hampshire, Dick Durbin of Illinois, Diane Feinstein of California, Martin Henrick of New Mexico, and Gary Peters of Michigan, plus independent Angus King of Maine, all of which would make great Halloween costumes. But they are putting country above party and they're standing with Tammy Duckworth in a call for an independent Afghanistan war commission. And on the House side, there's movement too. The House Armed Services Committee last month adopted an amendment by Republican Liz Cheney of Wyoming that would create an independent commission too. So there's bipartisan support for an independent commission. And we need it. Badly. Just like we did after 9-11. 20 years ago this year. But the 9-11 Commission wasn't created until over a year after 9-11. November 2002 was when it was formed, over one year after 9-11. Let's hope it won't take until August of next year to set up the Afghanistan Commission. But it might. And it is necessary. Because we all need and deserve the truth. 
The truth may be scary, but that doesn't mean we avoid it. And the truth is, we can't avoid it. The truth is relentless. The truth is emotionless. The truth is brutal. And the truth is coming. Especially right now. Everyone who's seen a Halloween movie knows you can't run from Michael Myers. The only way to defeat the terror of Michael Myers is to fight him and to take him head on. The same is true about the nightmare and horror that is Afghanistan. If you run from the truth, it will chase you down. It will drag you to the ground. It will cut you into little pieces and it will come for your friends and it will just keep coming. Like Michael Myers in the Halloween movie, the truth doesn't die. And the fight for the truth around Afghanistan won't die either. Even if President Biden, Undersecretary Call, and countless partisan apologists and hacks look to defend Biden rather than face the truth, especially now, as they see Afghanistan continue to spiral downward and pivotal congressional midterms creep closer and closer, like Freddy Krueger waiting for you to fall asleep. Sooner or later, you have to close your eyes. And sooner or later, the midterms will be here. And the truth will be front and center. The truth about Afghanistan may not be fast, but it continues to trudge behind us, creeping around the corners, peering in our windows, and waiting for us to put our guard down. The truth about Afghanistan will come in the images of dead interpreters, the photos of women being beaten, the stories of children dying in the cold this winter, the reality of the rise of ISIS-K, the fact that Pakistan and other adversaries are celebrating and taking advantage of this opportunity, and the growing understanding that while America did get thousands of Afghans out, we also left nine times more behind to die. And even the ones we did get out aren't being properly resettled or planned for. The apologists and partisans and spin masters may continue to step out and try to deflect and defend Biden and his allies from the truth about the Afghanistan horror show, but they'll lose. And just like the stupid jock boyfriend in a Halloween movie, they will not slow down Michael Myers. They will not slow down the truth. They'll be among the first to get carved up. Blood will be spilled. And it will be ugly. But there are leaders who are embracing the truth. Leaders who understand the truth. Leaders who have a unique link to the truth. Who comprehend its origins, its history, its motivations, its trajectory. Like Jamie Lee Curtis had a mental bond with Michael Myers. There are leaders who know the truth is coming, even when others won't believe it's real, sometimes because it's just too scary. Those are the soothsayers. Those are the truth tellers. Those are the ones often lonely and isolated in their understanding of what is to come. Those are the ones that must be heard, must be followed, and must be supported. 
Those are the ones who appreciate the true power of Michael Myers, the true power of the dark truth that is coming, a truth that can't be avoided. In a Halloween horror movie, and especially in real life, those are the heroes. Heroes like our very special guest in this episode. Like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, he's back. A man who can stand up to the scary, the brutal, the terrifying. Our friend, humanitarian, activist, and real-life superhero, Matt Zeller. So if you're not new here, you remember Matt Zeller from episode 127 in August. In all our episodes of this show, it's one of the ones that I'm most proud of. Because we were way out in front, telling the truth and sounding the alarm. Matt is America's leading voice on the issue of American allies in Afghanistan. He's a combat veteran and an army major that made it out of Afghanistan alive only because of the courage of his Afghan interpreter. And he's been paying it forward ever since. He's the courageous co-founder of No One Left Behind, a nonprofit that supports our allies. He's a Truman National Security Fellow and the author of Watches Without Time, an American soldier in Afghanistan. And now he's the newest member of the powerhouse team at Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And he's back. He's spent every day since he was last on this show, sounding the alarm about what's coming, demanding action from the White House, rushing allies out of certain death, and serving as America's conscience to ourselves and to the world. He's been on countless TV and radio shows around the world, and somehow he's still standing, still fighting. And he's back. He's back to tell us what's really happening right now inside Afghanistan and why it's the ultimate tragic Halloween horror story. Matt will take us inside the White House spin and he'll share the good things that have happened. And he'll also take us behind the scenes on the army bases around the country that are tasked with housing and resettling thousands of Afghans that did make it out. And He'll tell you how shockingly few that really is. And he'll also tell you how you can help. Matt Seller is not about party or re-election. He's not about ratings or covering his own ass. Matt Zeller is about the truth. He's about calling bullshit on Republicans and Democrats. He's about country first, above all else. And he's a true independent American. This is another powerful, timely, urgent conversation that keeps it real. The kind to help you stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And it's how to stay alive. In a Halloween horror movie. And in real life. Independent Americans is continuing to bring you important, inspiring, and iconic Americans. People who shape what America's been, what it is now, and what it will be in the future. And we're continuing to bring you the Righteous Media Five Eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Welcome to a truthful breakdown of a brutal and horrifying situation. That's the stuff of horror movies. And not just one movie. 
but a movie that will have sequel after sequel after sequel. Each one will be different and new, but no less horrifying. In a story that's lasted for a generation and could keep coming back for a generation more. But this is not a Halloween movie. It's real life. It's the truth. And it's a hard truth we all have to face. A truth that we all need to see. Don't cover your eyes. We can't run away from this one. This is a monster of our own making that's coming for us. Welcome to a story with some treats. But unfortunately, far too many tricks. Welcome to Halloween 2021. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 138. independent Americans around the country and around the globe. We are revisiting one of the most important topics of our time. But before we do, happy Halloween. Uh, I am very proud to bring, bring back one of our most powerful guests, a guest that was ahead of the curve. And uh, if, if a guy who is dealing with a lot of scary issues around Halloween and always, but is giving us uh, inspiration and power my friend, the great and powerful Matt Zeller, returns to Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me, brother. Now, people who are listening, you will hear a change in my voice because uh, I have been wearing a very special Halloween mask for you, Matt Zeller. Yes, thanks. <laughs> uh, if you're watching on video, uh, this is my, my kind of grumpy Joe Biden mask that I was wearing. Uh, it's not a great picture of Joe Biden. Um, because I'm a little mad at Joe Biden, and I think maybe Matt is as well, but this is one of the many costumes I'm going to have for Halloween is going to be grumpy, sad, uh, maybe disappointing Joe Biden. Mm. Um, but before we get to that, that's the right word. Is it? Yeah. 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 Disappointment, I think is the word of the month, the Mm. last couple of months. Well, let's, let's get into that. But first of all, welcome back. It is great to have you back. I was looking before we got started. It was 11 weeks ago you joined us on this show. It was August. Mm. You brought me kind of out of summer retirement. Afghanistan was going down, um, and I felt like the country didn't understand it. The world didn't appreciate it. You were ringing the bell, and I had to get you on the show. Uh, Since then, we've had... Jane Horton, we had Kristen Rouse, we had Admiral Mike Mullen. Uh, we've had so many people dig into this really important issue, but you were ahead of the curve. And since then, you've been everywhere. So first of all, I want to welcome you back and thank you for leading the way. Um, but I want to start with a question that I always ask, but maybe is especially important right now. Matt Zeller, where are you and how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm in my home in, in Northern Virginia and I'm exhausted. Uh, I'm still processing, brother. You know, 11 weeks ago feels like a a lifetime ago. Um, You know, for the better part of the end of August, I was on a deployment from my living room doing what I possibly could to get as many 
people that I personally knew out of Afghanistan as possible. And I'll tell anyone who will listen of the 23 people who I had on a personal list of names, I was only able to get out five. Hmm. Those other 18 are still in Afghanistan. And that, you know, that 220 batting average or whatever it is, that, that seems to be par for the course for just about everybody that was involved in this effort. And, I, you know, this is what's going to haunt us now for the rest of our lives is there's some 185,000 Afghans that we estimate were left behind that need our assistance. And, you know, to this day, Paul, I, I just before coming on this show, I got another message from somebody who's trying to assist an Afghan who reached out and said, well, you're Matt Zeller. You're part of this effort. You might know how to get this individual out. And the worst part about what I have to do now is tell everybody I don't have a good solution for them other than to go and hide because we've abandoned these people. And there really isn't a, a fundamentally repeatable process. Like it seems to be, we can get some people across the border and then we can't get anybody else across that border. We can get some people onto one flight and then everything that worked to get people onto that one flight doesn't work for the next one. It's just, it's, it's, it's tragic. There's no other way to describe it. It's just, it's, it's, it was eminently preventable. And it's now everything that we feared to come to pass is coming to pass. It's like living in a waking nightmare. And now I want to dig into this. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, it's Halloween, right? There's some scary yeah. shit. We think about scary shit, but this is like the real scary shit that I don't think folks fully appreciate. And it's why I wanted to revisit it right now. Uh, also because of the announcement from the White House this week about partnering with veterans and nonprofits. We'll get into that in a second. But I want to start with the top line, right? The top line was a disaster is coming. You warned us about it. There have been some good news items. But overall, still a disaster, right? And maybe even worse than we could have anticipated because we assumed Biden wouldn't disappoint us to the degree he did and others wouldn't disappoint us. So so the, the, the number I look at, you know, they say all the time, 53,000 got out. But you smartly remind everyone of not just the, num the numerator, but the denominator, 175,000 left behind and so much more left behind right now. I think I read 23 million people in Afghanistan out of 39 million don't have enough to eat a humanitarian yeah. disaster. That's going to be worse than Syria and, and Yemen. So can you maybe start with um, how bad is it in Afghanistan right now? Break it down because most of the country has already made it for Godistan. And I'm going to be very critical. Like the white house spiked the ball. They don't, they want to tell all these good news stories about babies and kids and people being resettled, not about the people getting slaughtered back there, but can you break it down? You're in regular contact. It's exhausting you and so many others. What is happening? What is it like in Afghanistan right now, Matt? You hit the nail on the head with talking about the coming humanitarian disaster. I've already started to put it out on social media. My next big sort of calamity prediction is that this winter is likely going to kill more Afghans than the Taliban could ever hope to achieve with their bullets. And they're going to die of, you know, these people are going to die of starvation. They're going to die of exposure, which literally means they're going to freeze to death. Right. They're going to die of of treatable and preventable diseases like dysentery uh, because they don't have access to clean drinking water or the medicines to treat Jardia, which is the back, you know, the bacterial infection that you get from drinking contaminated drinking water. All of these things 
are eminently solvable in our world, right? People in the United States, by and large, don't die of starvation and exposure and eminently preventable diseases. But that's what's going to happen now in Afghanistan, because one of the profound consequences of the Taliban takeover was the entire global community has now just thrown its hands up and said, well, you're on your own. And what people don't seem to realize is that we have been feeding Afghanistan for the last 20 years. We have been making sure that Afghans didn't freeze in winter for the last 20 years. We were providing them with the entirety of their medical aid. And so that that's all gone. It, it's all gone. And there's nobody who's stepped up to replace it. Um, what we have seen on top of that is the Taliban are just as evil and and horrific as as feared and predicted. They, they could not be trusted. The very first thing they said was, oh, we're going to let women go back to school. And what do they do? The women's ministry, the building that was used as the women's ministry was rebranded as the ministry for the prevention of uh, pre prevention of vice. The ministry for the uh, uh, for the it's the ministry of virtue and vice is what it's called. The ministry for the, the proselytization of virtue and the prevention of vice. It is the ministry designed to basically go out and beat people if they're not abiding by strict Islamic dictates. And in this case, women who are attempting to have an equal place in society. On top of that, the Taliban's internal security forces have become a very proficient, have begun a very proficient campaign of hunting down the allies that we left behind and not just murdering them, but as feared, carrying out a very North Korean style punishment campaign where they also murder their extended family members. I have I've had to make it a practice of I'm working with Amnesty International right now to help build a crimes against humanity case against the Taliban. And I've had to make it a, a daily practice to only look at the horrific imageries, uh, images, you know, of, of dead bodies and of murders and of these snuff films that are being smuggled out of Afghanistan first thing in the morning so that it isn't what's haunting me when I go to bed at night, because otherwise I can't sleep. Uh, and when I say that these is, is this is a daily thing, it, it is multiple times in the morning and they're mostly on Twitter or Facebook. Um, so it's, it's publicly available. You can see firsthand the brutal life that the Taliban are bringing to bear on, on ordinary Afghans. They're killing people for the crimes such as having the audacity to report the news, being a woman who wanted to go back to work or re enter school to continue their education. Uh, they're, they're, they have also, interestingly, a lot of people have been paying attention to this. There's been an interesting power dynamic in which the Doha Taliban, who were part of the negotiating team that negotiated you know, the, the surrender deal with the Trump administration, those Taliban have all been sidelined. And those are the ones that were all talking a big game to the international community about being reformed and being a new, more modern Taliban. If they're not dead or at, under house arrest, they're, they're basically have been marginalized in the government. And the people who took over were the hardest of the hard, right? The people with the closest ties to Al-Qaeda, the Haqqanis. Um, and most importantly, those who had the closest ties to Pakistan and the ISI. And so it, it's very clear now that Afghanistan is ostensibly now a, a client state of the Pakistani intelligence service. Um, there might be some buyer's remorse there. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. But the, the reality is, is that we don't have, and this is the so what of all of this, is that because of this confluence of bad people being in charge and our complete abdication of that country, 
you're right. The White House spiked the ball and they're now at least when it comes to the topic of the fate of those left behind, it seems as if they've just put their fingers in their hands and they're going, la, 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 I can't hear you because there's somehow this belief that if they just ignore us, we're going to go away. Yeah. And what yeah. don't understand is that particularly for veterans, this is the issue. So I'm gonna, I want I want to pause you there, Matt, because and first of all, thank you for that really comprehensive and 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 smart summary. You have been the leading voice in America on this issue, um, and and I'm I'm glad that at least enough people in the media watch this show or listen to this show and saw you on it and have been booking you and you've been on the media. But I also know it ebbs and flows, and you'll go weeks now without getting a phone call because it has become forgotistan. The the Biden administration is only telling the story about what's ahead and they're totally throwing the rest of it in the rearview mirror. And it's a political manipulation, in my view. It is an abdication of responsibility. It's a moral failure, but it's also a global strategic failure because now we've got Pakistan asserting their power. We've got regional instability. You've got a refugee and humanitarian crisis that's not just about Afghanistan, but is spilling into neighboring countries. You've got bad actors like Russia and China who are going to flex. Mm-hmm. What I guess the, ca- the case I've been making for a long time, Matt, that you have artfully explained is this is about so much more than Afghanistan. Right. People people have said in my comments section, oh, enough about Afghanistan. We've heard enough about Afghanistan. And I'm saying Afghanistan is the mirror for everything right now. Mm. Right. Like we can't solve big problems. We can't get along. We have no accountability. So I want to pivot to a point on this that I have been focused on. Um, You know, there was obviously the ridiculous um, drone attack on the way out that killed 10 civilians and a humanitarian worker. Even on the way out, we added insult to injury. But. In Washington, there's been no accountability. Mm. Jake Sullivan still has a job. All the spokespeople Ow. still have jobs. Ow. I, I want to I get to that, right? So there are calls now, bipartisan calls from Joni Ernst and Tammy Duckworth to have a true Afghanistan investigation and Afghanistan commission, which I think yeah. is necessary. I don't think the White House wants to have happen. Other people don't want to have happen. We will continue to push for that. But I don't think a single person in the American government has been held accountable despite these failures. And you, you laid it out. Look in baseball, it's the world series time. If you hit 300, you're a hall of famer. If you hit 300 in humanitarian work, you fail. 70% of people die. And that's where we are right now, right? 70% of people have been left behind. 70% of people are dying. 70% of people are freezing. 90% of the people got left behind. They're batting at best 100, maybe. Like the, this is the thing, Paul, is that they've been fudging the numbers. So of the 125,000 people that are evacuated, 60,000 of those people weren't Afghans. Let's just start off right there. They were Europeans and Americans and other people who had to get out, right? The 65,000 people that were Afghans that they got out, of that 65,000, 2,700 of them were the interpreters and their family members that we were trying to evacuate. The rest of these people were basically, I, I know that there was a, a there's a, Probably a large number of them were actually CIA personnel that were part of the the National Directorate of Security, and they were basically our our sort of paramilitary army in secret in Afghanistan. And and, and you know what? Good on us for getting them out because we made them the same type of commitment. But the rest of these people seem to be people who had means that were able to bribe their way out of the airport. Uh, And the vast majority of the people that needed to be put on planes, I'm going to tell you right now, were either prevented from being able to get into the airport or most egregiously when they were able to get onto the airport were turned around by an internal state department checkpoint 
that refused to allow them to get onto planes. And that is what has to come out in investigations. And you're right about the commission. You know, we've had now two months of congressional hearings at various different committees, the Armed Services Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee. And what we've learned from watching both the House and the Senate attempt to try to investigate this in the traditional way is that they just can't. It's too partisan. Both sides are retreating into their narrative. They're using this as a cudgel. No accountability is being accomplished or, or, or brought to bear. There is not any pathway forward to more importantly prevent this from ever happening again, which is on us as veterans to leave this better for the next generation of folks who come to serve. We need to make sure that this never occurs again. It's already happened now at the end of Vietnam, at the end of Iraq. It's now happened at the end of Afghanistan. It'll happen again when we leave Iraq because a lot of people seem to, you want to talk about forgotten, Stan, we have 5,000 troops in Iraq. No one seems to talk about that anymore. Iraq and Syria, they just throw up their hands. Most Americans probably have no idea how deployed we are all around the globe and in those deployments, how dependent we are upon local allies. And so what we're hopeful about this, this Afghan commission that senators, you know, Duckworth and Ernst, and I've even heard Senator Moran from Kansas wants to back this, which would be huge, uh, is that that would be the best way to achieve not just accountability for the failures and, and successes of the last 20 years, and then to learn from those, but more importantly, to structure ourselves going forward so that we don't repeat the same mistake. Yeah. Can, so I, I've talked on this show. I'm teaching a class on understanding 9-11. It's 20 years after 9-11. A three quarters of my class was not born on 9-11. That's the weirdest thing, isn't it? I, I know, right? But I, I, I assigned them the 9-11 commission report. They are understanding 9-11 because a commission was established. Yes. A bipartisan commission that uh, that investigated, made recommendations, many of which were not, you know, abided by, were not implemented. And then I brought Bob Kerry, Senator Bob Kerry, into my class, uh, who was a Navy SEAL himself, was a governor in Nebraska, and and he talked about the 9-11 commission. He talked about the process, he talked about its limitations. But without that, I would have no definitive document to teach my students now about what happened 20 years ago. So we need this. We need an investigation. Along the, li- along the lines of what we had after the 9-11 commission. I'm going to push for it. You're going to push for it. I hope anyone listening will push for it. But I want to go to another point that's central here, too. They're not only saying Afghanistan is over. They're saying war is over. Mm. And Biden went to the U.N. and said America is no longer at war. Tim Kaine, who ran for vice president, should know better, says we're no longer at war. We're doing strikes in in, in foreign countries. We've got troops all around the world. They're getting combat pay. They're getting shot at. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing uh, drone strikes all over the place. And these guys are out there saying the war is over. So I guess what, what I'm going to ask you here, Matt, and I want to come back to the states because there's this weird pivot happening that I think is good, but also a bit nefarious. Um, how do we get the momentum back? How do we get this in front of people? Veterans Day is coming. I hope that can be this can be a central point for us. Mm. But but how how can we as folks who care about this, who want to support you, uh, how can we keep getting the getting this in, in front of people? How do we make Biden or everyone do this? My war and the war for all of us you know, who fought in Afghanistan and Iraq, our wars aren't going to end until our brothers and sisters are safe. And that's what it comes down to is people seem to care. You know, th- this is the difference between those of us who serve with these people and, and, and the rest of the country is the rest of the country is all caught up on where they placed in the birth lottery. Oh, they were born in Afghan or an Iraqi. Somehow that makes their life less important than mine. 
And these people served alongside us. Who the hell cares where they placed in the birth lottery? You know, the guy who saved my life is a nine tour combat that if he was born here, we would celebrate him as such. I don't care where they placed in the birth lottery. I care about what they did with their lives. And they showed up in the fight time and time again. And so the war isn't going to end for any of us who fought in these conflicts until these people are safe, because we have the same ethos with them as we would with a, an American service member, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we don't leave these people behind. So I, here's where, you know, the pivot at home is correct. How the Biden administration is going to continue to hear about this is they, you know, there's an interesting dichotomy. I've been working now with the White House hand in hand for the past two months on the veteran side of this. And I wish that the folks who did the veteran side of this were also in charge of the extraction side of this because they actually care and want to listen to us. And they have been listening to us from the get go. And what they heard loud and clear was we told them from from the first meeting, we said, look, we've been doing this now for years And what the veteran community has learned is if you empower us, if you let us get to these Afghans and Iraqis as early as possible in their resettlement process, we are the critical link. We're the ones that prevent endemic poverty. We're the ones that get them plugged in with the community around them. We're the ones that are going to best take care of them. And most importantly, because of our shared experience, we're the ones who best understand each other. And I'll promise you this, veterans who get involved in this Every one of them tell me to a person that this becomes the most healing thing that they've done since coming home from the war. And from the Afghan and the Iraqi standpoint, they also talk about how healing it is for their journey. So the White House was really smart. They listened to us and they said, we're going to put forth a program that is going to allow and incentivize American veterans to volunteer, come forward you and, and, and form what are called sponsorship circles. So the idea is you go out, you get four of your battle buddies to group of five. You would self-identify through this website called sponsorcircle.org. You submit yourselves to a, just a quick background check to make sure that you're not, you know, like a pedophile. And then you undergo a little bit of training. And this is probably beginning the big, the big, I'm going to be honest, the big barrier to entry for a lot of people is going to be this next part, which is you got to raise a little bit of money. And the idea is that money is going to supplement what they're already getting from the government and aid you in assisting and helping them get resettled. But they don't just want a bunch of people signing up and then not actually having resources to be able to brought to bear. So the only way that people will be paired with an Afghan is if they've met the criteria of being able to pass the background investigation, undergone the training and raise the $2,500 or whatever it is. It's not that much. It's about $2,500. It's less than $3,000. If you do that, you get paired with an Afghan family that'll be resettled very close to where you live geographically. And then it's up to you to help them get resettled. This was the missing link. And they rolled it out this past Monday, you know, October the 25th, um, in a big announcement. Um, People can learn about it more by going to welcome.us, which is the the central website that they're asking everyone to go and volunteer through. I wish that that was the level of understanding with which this White House would approach the other thing that veterans care about, which is the fate of people left behind. Right. right? And, and, and this, I, I'm, I'm convinced, Paul, that it's going to be through this initiative that they maybe will finally come to understand just how much we care about it. So thank you for introducing everyone who maybe didn't hear the news about this announcement this week, which is important, is significant, is welcomed. However, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Because I think there's something, what I said, a bit nefarious going on here as well from a political standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Number one, you mentioned it. These people that are assigned to this, every time I talk to them, say, but we don't do extractions. That's somebody else's job. 
right? Which is kind of the madness of this from the beginning is that the bureaucracy, the federal government couldn't have a comprehensive solution to this disaster. Right. So even now we talk to these people. I spoke to one of them that said, I'm in this job for 90 days. I don't know what my budget is. I don't have a plan yet. That that was a month ago. It's I guess it's crystallized a little bit. But still, what this person told me is I don't handle evacuations. That's somebody else. And it looks like right now nobody handles evacuations. And that is a washing of our hands that is very dangerous and bad and, and irresponsible and, in my view, morally corrupt. Because if if 90 percent of them are still there, you just close that door, shut it down forever and left them to die inside a totalitarian regime. Right. Mm-hmm. But flip that forward. Great. Veterans are going to help everybody. Um, but why is it up to veterans? Right. Mm-hmm. Like the government. Once again. This is a great news story. It's going to help us. We're going to help our buddies, all that great. But we have to bail out America again because the rest of the country didn't. Our leaders didn't. And down to the point, look, I don't think it's good that we got to raise money. I think it's bullshit. I think that we shouldn't have to raise $2,500 when they're talking about, you know, multi-trillion dollar budgets going through government on a daily. These are these are this is a pittance. But I get it. They want they want to incentivize people. They want to buy in communities. But here's what they're doing, Matt. And I just I want to. I think we're probably in heated agreement on this. They're passing the buck. They're making it our job to bail them out, to help these people, to resettle them. And I still, you know, I'm going to pull the mask out again. I don't think I've seen Biden meet with a single Afghan family yet. No, no, not a single one. They, the, the, neither the Justin president. Trudeau did it in Canada, right? Other leader, Western leaders yes. have done it. There's yes. a very powerful visual. Biden has not met in public with a single family that got out yet. You would want, it's a great point. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know of maybe other than the secretaries of state and defense uh, and members of Congress. I don't know that the president or anyone from the White House has actually gone to see any of the military bases. So, I mean, how welcome are they if we tell them, okay, come on over and you can join the Underground Railroad Network of the veterans community, which is less than one half of one percent of the population? Maybe it's, you know, 20 percent if you throw in everybody else from World War II. But there's also something here that. I think maybe ultimately counterproductive too, because we are bringing them into America, but we're, but they're bringing them into a community that is to some extent isolated, is to some extent disconnected, is to some extent capable and and willing and driven. But also, is it fair, right? So like you asked us to go to war for twenty years while everyone else left life interrupted, and now you're asking us to clean up the mess after the war. And so I'm really I'm pissed about it. And, and I think it's great. These corporations are getting nice press releases and and everybody's getting to feel good about this. But this is not a feel good story. I and, I, I, and I and I just want to put that out there for people to think about that, that that the president passed the buck on a lot of this. And I'm going to put it on him. Congress is responsible, too. But they're passing the buck again. Like Matt Zeller is the public face for America when these people get to a base. Where the fuck is the president? Why isn't he there welcoming them, shaking their hands? He's meeting everybody else in America to sell the infrastructure plan. He can't be there to welcome them on behalf of America. I wish he'd actually go to see them because he'd see the conditions that some of these people live in. And he'd realize, oh, my goodness, this is a disaster. That they're treat- I want to- one last point. Man. They're treating it like Guantanamo. Well, they're treating yeah. it like they're treating it like the border. It's like it's too hot to go near. Right. So they're not putting it's intentional. It's deliberate. And I think it's terrible. They they you know, it's interesting. The the conditions really vary from base to base. Like if you're at Fort Lee, you're living in a holiday inn. Right. And you're in like a hotel room and you got Wi-Fi and a TV and it's great. If you're at Quantico, you're in an open air tent or a 70 year old Quonset hut that is not winterized. 
and it's the end of October. And there's no plan, by the way, to winterize these buildings. There's no plan to move these people. I talked to the Department of Homeland Security on Monday and specifically brought up Quantico and Fort Bliss. And I said, people there are living on tents. Afghans send me videos of their conditions all the time. There's gonna, they have strong sheets in be like all throughout the Quonset huts from floor to ceiling to just try to make private little rooms for each family. It's a fire disaster in the making, right? Especially as things start to get, they, they start to get cold and like someone might, I don't know, culturally, they don't understand HVACs, right? Or indoor heating. They might go to light a fire inside one of these things and kill everyone. That's my big fear. When we brought this up and we said, would you at least move them to another nicer place on base? No, that it was just, they just, their, their response was the resettlement community the refugee resettlement community needs to figure out how to resettle them faster in the United States. And see, that's the point I, I want to drill down on, Matt. They're passing the buck. It's up to yeah. Amnesty International and Team Rubicon. And, yeah. and, and the part that all great groups, amazing groups, they'll do as much as they can. But on the order of magnitude, I mean, you know, these nonprofits are a couple million dollar organizations, maybe a couple tens of them. The big ones are a hundred million dollars. We're talking about someone like the DOD that's hundreds of billions and trillions right, of dollars. Right. Like uh, the order of magnitude that we need. for their, in their It's a rounding error for them in their budget to yeah. support this, right? Yeah. You raise a good point. Where are the defense contractors that made billions and billions over the last couple of years? Why haven't they been asked to help? They, I mean, you want to talk about why is it that veterans have to raise, you know, 2,500 bucks per carrying circle? Why haven't they gone to like Halliburton or General Dynamics or I don't know, Mission Essential Personnel, which held the majority of the interpreter contract for the last couple of years and made billions off of it. But you know, said, Matt, I almost I almost I do. I want to stop that because I think we've been doing that in the veteran space for so long. Like I started a veterans group. I created a veterans group because we had to do the things the government didn't do. Right. Right. And, and we used to always say our job was to put ourselves out of business. Yeah. And, and if we keep creating braces around broken legs, um, that that are flawed, the legs and never take the braces off. The legs will never heal. Really good. Memory. And like, that's where we are right now over and over again. Like we're, we're creating these Frankenstein's monsters because our government can't. And now our government won't. Right. Like I some of my guys, I have had to go to get mental health outside the VA because the VA couldn't provide. Now, 20 years later, your your buddies and my buddies have to figure out whether they can get a donated Airbnb and some diapers off of Amazon. This right. is it, bullshit. That's, well, you're you're spot on. So there's there's a, there's a movement afoot in the greater evacuate our allies coalition, which is about 100 different organizations at this point. And the movement afoot is to as part of this Afghan commission process. One of the things that they want to change is how we fundamentally go to and come home from war. Right. And the idea being that this is likely going to be a problem that will rear its head in other conflicts and that it shouldn't be on veterans to figure this out at the end of a conflict. There should be a government program that existed from the time that we go to war. That is already preparing for how do you take care of these people when they come to the United States? How do you properly resettle them? What's the cost? Who are the personnel who are assigned? What's the budget that's been allocated? What base are you going to house them on rather than trying to figure it out at the last minute? I mean, that's you're 100 percent right. That's what needs to be done. But to bring it back to the very beginning of our conversation, Afghanistan is a, is a mirror upon us. We can't do the big things anymore. You know, we, we, we can't seem to achieve that type of national whole of governance effort. We yeah, see the digital, the digital Dunkirk is something you introduced to us back in August. And again, I think the digital Dunkirk can be viewed as this amazingly innovative group of, you know, Minutemen 
that 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 rally in a time of crisis. But we had the Minutemen in in the revolution because we didn't have a standing army yet. <laughs> we grew up. We had a standing army. Like we shouldn't be doing cr- you know crowdfunding for a refugee crisis. It's great to see you and Kate Hoyt and so many amazing people out there doing this. But I'm saying like, why don't you have a government agency under you and resources to drive that? Because in some ways, this is so inspiring and it's so amazing. But it's also maybe like a last gasp of a group of people that are trying to to prop up our, our government to do things it can no longer do anymore. So I just think it, as much as it's a good news story, it may be a canary in the coal mine for, for how we can't handle things anymore. Mm. So and let me ask you this. So, so I was going to ask you to describe <laughs> what it's like on bases. You're going on a regular basis. You took us inside a little bit, but um, let's talk about the kids because we, we explored what I con- consider is still a war on women happening in Afghanistan. That is of utmost importance, but the kids are a part of this. So I have a, you know, a six-year-old and, and a two-year-old. There are six-year-olds and two-year-olds on these bases in these barracks. Like, can you take us inside? Because I think we got a good glimpse. Like, we got outrage about the border crisis and and, and what ICE what ICE was doing after we saw kids in cages. Uh, we're you know, are we at kids in cage? We're not at kids in cages. But what is it like for the kids there? It's like a big summer camp. <laughs> for the kids, it's like a big summer camp. Like they're like, oh my God, we're not, we don't have to go to school. All we do have to do is play all day. There's organized games all day long. The soldiers play and dance with them. I have more videos. I wish the DOD, this is the thing is they don't let you like you can you can sneak a video now and then, but then then they they're really like you can't show it to anybody. I wish I could show people this. I wish they would show people this. Do you know how positive an image this is? I've got literally videos of Marines dancing with kids, like dancing the Afghan traditional dance, the Atan, having a ball, right? The kids are, every kid that I see runs up to me, high fives me, fist bumps me, says hello, wants to practice their English, could not be happier to be here. They're a little confused, though. You know, I'm talking with their parents. The parents will tell us that late at night, the kids will say, OK, this has been interesting. When when are we going to go see our family? When do we get to go home? And, you know, when summer camp is sensibly over, they don't understand that they have been saved from a fate probably worse than death and that they are the lucky few who have a real chance at a life. Right. Particularly the women. You know, every time I see one of these little girls running around, I, there's a there's a guy I know at Fort Pickett. He's a. He's a, he was an interpreter for the U.S. Air Force. Um, he's a, a facial reconstruction surgeon in real life. And he, that's what he I, I just delivered his MCAT books because he's studying for his boards to get reboard certified to continue to practice facial reconstructive surgery here in the United States. And uh, he's got two little girls and a little boy. And his oldest daughter told me she can't wait to be a doctor. And in this country, she can. Right. So the kids you know, the kids are thriving. Kids can make just about as much of an awesome situation out of anything. And every base that I've went to, I've seen cricket games, I've seen soccer games, volleyball. I've seen probably the kids' most favorite game, which is tackle the Marine, right? Tackle the army soldier, (laughs) you know, like that seems, you know, pile on the Marines seems to be something that they all love to do. But, and and again, good news story, but there's no, no, by the way, but, but there's no plan for no. when they will be in school. 
Mm-mm. Do they know when they will be in school? Will it, will it be in January? Will it be next year in September? Like this is where I keep saying and you keep revealing Biden didn't have a plan. They still yeah. don't have a plan. Like if you're a parent of a six and two year old and you're living at Fort Pickett, what are you told about when your child will be in a school? You're not. You're told that there's a base school that's been set up that's makeshift that they can attend if they want what kid wants to go to school, by the way, is being taught by a collection of Afghan women who are teachers back in Afghanistan who are volunteering to try to continue to educate with very limited resources. Um, what they're more concerned about is they want to know when they're going to be resettled. You know, so th- this is the thing is that none of these people were told, okay, the reason why you're all stuck on a base is that we just, we just assumed that none of you were vaccinated. And so we gave them everything. You, you want listen, the anti-vax people would have had a nightmare with this. They're wrong, by the way. You should get, absolutely get vaccinated. It completely works. But um, these people were vaccinated for everything under the sun. Measles, mumps, rubella, tuberculosis, you know, uh, COVID, the flu, hepatitis. You named it. It was assumed that they had never been vaccinated for it. Some of these vaccines take six weeks to like be effective. So they've just been stuck on base waiting for their vaccines to finally be be done now that, that process is over, the government is telling us that they're trying to resettle. They're trying to move at a pace of around 4,000 a week off the basis. Well, if you do the math at that pace, they're still going to be doing this at the end of January. And again, it's just these people are going to freeze, particularly those kids. That's the thing about the kids that scares me. None of these people have winter clothing. OK, they all came to this country with the clothes that they were wearing in August in Afghanistan the day that they got onto the airport, right? So they were all wearing flip-flops and probably, you know, like loose-fitting winter summer clothing because it's really hot there. They're not prepared in any way for the winter that's coming. Now, Team Rubicon has done an amazing job at collecting donations. IAVA has been instrumental at helping to deliver um, uh, clothing to the bases. That's part of the effort that I've been undertaking. But I have to tell you, I've also seen that they've not done a really effective job in handing out that clothing yet. Um, and the Afghans themselves have asked and requested, why don't you, you know, we're sitting here doing nothing. Use us to hand out the clothes to people to which the military said, no, no, no we don't trust you. We think that you'll steal it. Yeah. So that's, that's where we are. Um, so Matt, um, a, a couple other things like you continue to be a must follow on Twitter. You're out in the media. You've now joined the team at IAVA, which I think is fantastic. Jeremy joined us a couple weeks ago as well. And I think, you know, Kristen has also joined us a part of the extended IAVA family and Jake Wood and all these other folks that have been on this show and that are, you know, connected in different ways uh, to IAVA and to other veterans groups. Um, I, you know, Veterans Day is a couple weeks away. I hope that we can make this the rally point, right? Last year, it was like COVID was the rally point. This may be the rally point now, the unifying thing that's more unifying than anything we've seen. But, and and as we go into the holidays, I hope people think about donating time, energy, money to support these families, but also maybe even more critical, focus on the policy change, focus on mandating a plan, focus on getting the president to show up, focus on the investigations. But let me ask you, is there anything else that's coming up. What's next? What is the what is the media not covering? What does Biden not see? If I bring you on in eleven weeks, you know, from now, what's the warning? What weather do you see beyond what you've talked about that other people don't see coming? You know, the the 
here's my big fear is that we are not talking about the Taliban's ambitions beyond Afghanistan, right? There is a component of them that does look externally facing and have spent the last 20 years fighting us and want revenge. Um, you know, I've heard the president time and time again talks about his counterterrorism strategy is over the horizon. Well, it's really over the rainbow is what it really is. I mean, there's there is no strategy. We're not going to be able to effectively defend ourselves against these people. Our eyes and ears in Afghanistan are all but gone. Um, our our ability to influence events there is all but gone. Um, I fear that this is going to become like Iraq was one of those things where we, we wish we had gotten the departure differently because we're going to find ourselves likely re-engaged. And the more we get to begin dictating events on the ground now by being an active participant rather than a reactive participant, the better off we're going to be. I, I've always argued that the best off the best defense is a good offense. Right. And we seem to now have retreated in this, we're just going to react to the world notion rather than trying to dictate our own terms. And uh, I really fear that um, we're going to come to root whatever evil is now being given a chance to fester and grow, you know, inside of Afghanistan. Matt, I'm going to ask you to stick around for the bonus content with our Patreon members. We'll get into some more of your stories from inside uh, and some more personal stuff. I want to know about the guitar behind you uh, and you've got a giants football. So maybe we'll talk a little football over uh, for our Patreon members, <laughs> which is, which is, which is talking about depressing. Right. But there's a point that I want to, I want to drill down on that you and I have talked about a bit that this is very possible now that Biden could run for reelection with the current policy. Trump could run again with a different policy for Afghanistan a policy of re-engagement, a policy of re-invading, right? And this debacle could be part of what costs Biden re-election. It could be part of what gives rise to Trump again. And for the Afghans caught in the middle here, there is a, for some, this is a you know Halloween nightmare. For some, this is maybe what they want. But there is a scenario where four years from now, Trump is president and he sends people back into Afghanistan to fight Pakistan. Yep. And to and to fight who knows what else, right? That is that is very possible. It may not be likely, but it is a possible scenario that we could see. This will be a centerpiece of the re-election campaign for the president. This will be a centerpiece of the midterms, and this will be the centerpiece of of the near future, whether we want it to be or not. Right? A hundred percent. Particularly, uh, you laid out brilliantly. This is going to define the election in the midterms. The Republicans are going to use this as the thing that they beat the Biden administration over and over and over again with. And if they're successful in the midterms and they regain control of even one chamber of Congress, if you thought the Benghazi hearings were politically charged, wait till you hear the Republican oriented Afghan hearings. Right. Because that's what the entirety of the Biden administration is going to be about from a congressional perspective. There'll be no more legislative agenda. It's just going to be endless investigations into how we got this wrong. And then they're going to use that anger and that narrative to fuel a Trump rise in, in four years. So, again, I wish this White House would take this seriously because there's a way out of this. It's to get smart on this policy. It's to listen to veterans and actually, as you said, come up with a policy to extract the rest of the people. Have an engagement strategy for the region that's not just one of, well, you're on your own, who cares? It's not important because it is. And most importantly, 
ensure that this never happens again by re fundamentally reassessing and reevaluating and restructuring how we go to and come home from war. Trump is waiting. Yes. Trump is waiting and watching for that fire in a tent on an army base that kills a bunch of Afghans. Trump's waiting for that one Afghan guy who commits a crime in the U.S. Trump's waiting for anything like that that is sensational that he can magnify to activate all of the other Trump stuff. There are plenty of people that are fearful that the Afghans are going to give them measles and COVID and whatever else. And he's going to stoke that fear. And he's waiting for those errors. And Biden's making it easy. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's what we all have to guard against. We have to be vigilant about. I, I started with a Biden mask. Well, here's the other mask. Oh. Right. And this is for video. See it on video, folks. I've got the angry, nasty Trump mask which is the other side of this equation and, and is very much the central part of our foreign policy, domestic policy, political conversation this Halloween. And we're probably going to be talking about it next Halloween too. But Matt, um, on Halloween, people dress up like superheroes. Uh, I'm actually going to, spoiler alert, I've got an Eeyore shirt on. So I'm feeling a little mixed and my son has decided I'm Eeyore because he got Tigger, the little guy got Piglet, my wife got Pooh, Nana's getting, Nanny's getting, uh, getting Rue. So I'm going with Eeyore because it kind of, I'm, I'm, there's a hopeful part of Eeyore, but Eeyore's a little tired and that, and that's where I'm going to be this year. But you are a superhero and, and you've been an incredible inspiration. You've been Captain America for all of us, not just for these 11 weeks, but for the last decade or more. And I just want to thank you from all of us. Uh, for being an inspiration, for being somebody our kids can look up to, and for fighting like hell for the soul of America, you've been Thanks. you've been you've been a flame, man, and and we're grateful for you. Thanks, brother. I'm really deeply honored. Thank you. Thank and you. we're gonna keep having your back. So follow Matt. Stay tuned. Get in the fight. It's not over. And stay vigilant. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, brother. All right, Matt is a real-life superhero. Next time you go into one of those massive pop-up Halloween stores or Walmart or Target or wherever you get your costumes, ask them if they have a Matt Zeller costume or just make one yourself because he's the real deal and he's the kind of hero we all need to be like and the kind of hero we need to encourage our kids to be like. He's not a hero one day out of the year. He's a hero every day. And he's a true helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Now, Mr. Rogers is often a popular costume on Halloween, and for good reason. So my props to any of you that are dressing up like Mr. Rogers. Be sure to post a photo and tag independent Americans. But my deepest thanks to Matt for joining us again. And for all that he does, follow him on social media, especially on Twitter. He has real-time updates and real-time information from inside Afghanistan and inside the resettlement camps here in the U.S. and from across the political and media spectrum. And get his book, Watches Without Time, An American Soldier in Afghanistan. It's on Amazon and everywhere. They make a great holiday gift. You can start your holiday shopping now or you can give them out instead of candy. It'd be a little weird, but why not? This is a time of innovation. Go for it. Now, speaking of shopping, 
boy, did I learn a lot about online shopping this week and specifically about eBay. So I want to give a shout out to S Droxy Girl and One Blue Jam. Those are two people that I met on eBay and they are my Halloween heroes. And here's why. They helped me find in the last minute the costumes that will complete our family Halloween costume for 2021. So thank you to my wife and boys again for making Halloween special. It's always my favorite time of the year. But Estroxy Girl and One Blue Jam helped me find on eBay two costumes that were surprisingly hard to get. Now, the easy ones were my wife will be Winnie the Pooh the great and powerful Winnie the Pooh. And their grandmother will be Kanga. Everybody loves Kanga. Those were pretty easy to get. But my six-year-old rider will be Tigger. And apparently Tigger costumes are pretty hard to get. And my little guy, two-year-old River, will be Piglet. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's great. But I had no idea how hard it would be to find a Piglet costume for a two-year-old. And to get in on a couple of days' notice and full disclosure. But thanks to X Droxy Girl and One Blue Jam, I got it overnighted and paid a shitload of shipping, and they will be here in time for Halloween. Now, you may be wondering, what does that leave me? Well, I, of course, will be Eeyore. End of the road. Nothing to do. And no hope of things getting better. Now, of course, Eeyore is a pessimistic and gloomy, old-stuffed donkey belonging to Christopher Robin. And he might seem like just a big, sad sourpuss. But he's much more than that. Now, I got this from DisneyFandom.com, but Eeyore is, of course, stuffed with sawdust and lives alone underneath a small teepee-style house made of sticks. And the running gag is that Eeyore's home is almost always knocked over, forcing the gloomy donkey to rebuild it from scratch, usually at a different place. He has his own area in the 100-acre woods known for its crappy atmosphere, Eeyore's gloomy place, where he's typically seen sulking under a rain cloud or eating thistles. Now, besides his cynical personality, Eeyore's tail is, of course, his most defining trait. Now, despite being pinned down with a nail, Eeyore's tail is always detaching from his butt and winds up getting lost for periods of time. And Christopher Robin is typically called upon to reattach it. Now, Eeyore doesn't like his tail, but he agrees that nothing better can replace it. He also loves sad stories because they make him feel more appreciative of his life and what he has. He also really likes eating thistles and sugar cubes. Even though he complains a lot, and maybe he's sort of an angry American, Eeyore is generally quite a reliable character. He's a person you can lean on in times of trouble, and he can be really insightful. In Winnie the Pooh's most grand adventure, Eeyore is the first one to understand that the group didn't have to go on a long and dangerous journey just to become strong, smart, or brave. They had it inside them all along. And in lots of episodes of the animated series, Eeyore is the smartest, wisest, and most down-to-earth resident of the Hundred Acre Woods and has the most common sense. 
along with Kanga, of course. But that's Eeyore, and I'm going to be Eeyore proudly, because somebody has to be. And that's often the job of a dad, to do the job that someone's got to do. Now, another dad actually created Winnie the Pooh. You may not know this, but A.A. Milne was an English author and a veteran of both world wars. And he was trying to figure out how to explain the harsh reality of World War I to his own kid when he penned the 1926 classic Winnie the Pooh. A.A. Milne served as a commission officer in the 4th Battalion Royal Warwickshire Regiment as a member of the Royal Corps of Signals. And he went to France to fight in the Battle of the Somme. The Battle of the Somme was a true horror story. The bloodiest battle in human history. More than three million men fought and one million men were wounded or killed. And many of Milne's closest friends were among the casualties. When Milne got home, he spent years recovering. And a light finally came to him in 1920 when his son Christopher was born. And one day, Milne took his son to the London Zoo where they bonded over a new visitor to the park, a Canadian black bear named Winnipeg. Winnie for short. Milne was drawn to the bear because it was the mascot used by the Canadian Expeditionary Force in World War I. And despite being one of the scariest creatures in the zoo, Winnie was reclusive and stayed away from people. And Milne saw himself in that bear. And at the same time, His son Christopher loved the bear for being cuddly and cute. And so Milne bought his son a teddy, the real-life Winnie the Pooh bear. And the demons of war followed Milne throughout his life. And when his son Christopher was little, he terrified him when he confused a swarm of buzzing bees with whizzing bullets. The popping of balloons sent him flying for cover. And Milne knew only one way to explain to his son what was happening, through his writing. And Milne started a collection of short stories called Winnie the Pooh. So Winnie the Pooh is about trying to explain pain and emotion and the unexplainable and from a father to a son. And Winnie the Pooh is a testament of love from a parent to a child. A way to keep kids safe. It's just another reason that I love the hell out of Winnie the Pooh and why my kids have grown up watching it. So in addition to being Eeyore and explaining Winnie the Pooh, another job of a dad and a mom and any adult is keeping our kids safe, especially around Halloween. And I've got more info to help you do that, to help you stay vigilant. I told you last episode, we are back with While the Rest of Us Die. Season two of a project from me and Righteous Media is here. I'm proud to rejoin showrunner Anthony LaPay, the Efron Films team, and super narrator Jeffrey Wright for season two of While the Rest of Us Die on Vice TV. Now, last week, episode one came out strong, and we talked about money, all about the money. We explained the secret history of how greed has eaten the American dream. That was our premiere episode. And this week, episode two is a perfect one for Halloween. Yes, it's scary as hell. But it's not just about the tricks. It's actually all about the treats. This week, on While the Rest of Us Die, we explore the secret history of 
the American diet, how sugar, ultra processing, chemical agriculture, and factory farms are making us sick. Here's a taste. Type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer. We are actually making ourselves sicker by eating the processed food that the food industry has told us is good for us. The thing that struck me was how overwhelmingly powerful this company was. Billionaires are looking at farmland as just another financial asset. While the rest of us die. New episode Thursday at 10 on Vice. Yep, put that in your Halloween bag this month, people. Tune in for episode two, Thursday, October 28th at 10 p.m. on Vice. Vice TV is available on every major satellite and cable provider and on the Vice TV app via iOS, Android, Apple TV, Roku, and Chromecast. And every episode will be up a few days after it premieres at vicetv.com. So go to vicetv.com. You can watch episode one now for free, and you can watch episode two in just a couple of days. And next time you're online, take it a step further and visit us on social media. Follow Independent Americans on every social media platform, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, even on LinkedIn. And check out independentamericans.us. You can see video of my conversation with Matt Zeller, and you can check out video and audio of all our recent episodes with Arian Moyed from last week where we dug into Succession, Milo Ventimiglia, Bradley Whitford, Admiral Mike Mullen, and all the other episodes that dug into Afghanistan and plenty of other interesting and important issues. If you go to the website, you can also get some sharp independent Americans gear, hats, shirts, mugs, and you can go as an independent American for Halloween. And you can, of course, find Righteous Media and Independent Americans on YouTube and see all the videos from our shows and lots of extra videos. And when you're over there, check us out on social media and guess the guest every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, we're going to continue to guess the guest and I will reward you with a treat. Not tricks, mostly treats. Speaking of treats, it's always a treat to find out who our new Patreons are. So I want to give a big shout out to Don Yankura and George A. Thompson, the newest members of our Patreon team. They put a little candy in our bag and we are grateful for it. They are supporting the fight and they are getting extra content with Matt. Unless you're already a Patreon member, you won't get the extra content with Matt. But if you are, you will break down the World Series, we'll talk football, and we'll talk what it's like to be on all these national TV shows for the first time in his life. It's the extra content that's only available for our Patreon members. And if you're not in that community, you can join us. It's an insurgent army of independent Americans. You get exclusive content. We'll have events and more at the Independent Americans Patreon community. Go to patreon.com and for just five bucks, just a little bit of candy, you get access to all that and more. And if you want to throw a little more of a treat in our bag, go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. Tell people why you like this show. And be sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe for free and share Give your friends a treat this Halloween and share Independent Americans, which is only possible thanks to the mighty Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paula Hernandez. They make this show possible. They make all of our content treats possible. They help make Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast, our other show from Righteous Media, and the Firefighters Podcast with Rob Sarah. Check that out, too. New episodes of Everybody hit every Wednesday. My show hits on Thursday. And The Firefighters with Rob Sarah is on Friday. They are 100% free treats. So spread the word, pass a treat, and join the growing Righteous Media family. Anywhere you get your pods, or you can always go to Righteous.us. 
America is more divided than ever before. But at Independent Americans, we are trying to change that. We're trying to add light to contrast to heat. We're trying to bring people together and bring the Righteous Media Five Eyes to everything we do. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And if you don't have a costume, maybe you're one of the 40% of Americans who are independent. And you are an independent American, and this is your show. And if you're a Republican or Democrat and want to try something new for Halloween, you can be an independent American, too. As long as you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. Or you can be a concerned American for Halloween, someone who just cares about the future of your country. This is your show, too. All are welcome, and we invite you to be a part of the solution. And we invite you to please keep sharing the hope. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy. It's that awesome candy in your Halloween bag. For me, it's like a full-size Snickers or a full-size Twix or a $5 bill. I got a couple of those a few times. And that hope, it helps offset all the cynicism and hate. It's the offset to all that candy corn and the pennies that end up in your bag. They all go away when you get that hope, that full-size Snickers. That's what hope is. The oxygen of democracy, the full-size Snickers in the Halloween bag of America. And just like a Snickers, it will sustain you and it will satisfy you. It's how we keep this movement of independent Americans growing week by week and how we will all stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. And we can all be superheroes this Halloween and every day. Or we can at least try to be. We can try to be someone that young people can look up to. Like whoever you dressed up as for Halloween when you were little. Maybe you were a firefighter or Wonder Woman or Captain America or a Power Ranger. But that's always something to strive for. And just like on Halloween night, it's not a good idea to journey out alone. And you're not alone. We're all in this together. We're all trick-or-treating through the neighborhood of life. From Senator Joni Ernst, to Jamie Lee Curtis, to Eeyore, to Christopher Robin, to Matt Zeller, to you. All across this country, we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America, and happy Halloween. <laughs> Powered by Righteous Media.